We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Every Monday, we speak with Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America. Of course, one of the newest and one of the biggest veteran service organizations around the country. This morning, we are speaking with Melissa Bryant. Melissa, Chief Policy Officer for IAVA, former Army Captain, Operation Iraqi Freedom Combat Veteran, has joined us before and now joins us again. Melissa, good morning. How are you doing on this fine Monday? Good morning, Eric. I'm doing well. How are you? Uh, I'm okay. You know, the, the clock's going forward. It feels like I should still be uh, asleep right now, but eh, you, you deal with it. You do what you got to do. And IAVA doing what they had to do last week, the Storm the Hill event. Of course, really your big legislative push, a lot of news and announcements coming out last week. It's an annual thing that IAVA does. So overall, looking back at the Storm the Hill event, how would you say everything went? Were you happy with the uh, the way everything went down? Oh, everything was absolutely wonderful. Um, the week's events were <clears throat> consisted of us delivering testimony before a joint session of the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committees. Uh, that went very well. Um, we also you know, announced our big six priorities for 2018, which I can run through in a second. Uh, but really, it's the camaraderie of bringing in our members. Uh, they, they really are our life force and the passion in which they convey the issues that are, you know, most near and dear to post-911 veterans. Um, It's really inspirational to watch those members come in and advocate on behalf of what they want to see our brothers and sisters receive uh, as veterans after service. So um, that's really the most enjoyable part of the week. Yeah, I mean, there is so much going on within the veteran community, uh, good and so much that needs to be addressed. And that's uh, a big part of the Big Six announcement. Now, we had Tom Porter on last week, and he he gave us a tease. He gave us one of the Big Six. So now that they're officially out there, let's find out from Miss Melissa Bryant exactly what the Big Six priorities are for IAVA as we look forward in 2018. Well, the total big six are, um, four of these are campaigns that we've initiated in the past, but the language two that I'll uh, speak to at the, uh, at the end of this are really the campaigns that we know are most pressing to our generation. We, you know, we field our annual member survey each year. Uh, we hear the feedback from our members, and these are things that they just simply say cannot wait anymore. We've got to press forward. And so... Number one is sustaining our campaign to combat suicide among troops and veterans. That is always going to be the top priority of IAVA, uh, ensuring that 20 souls a day do not continue to be lost to suicide. Uh, our second campaign is our campaign to recognize and improve services for women veterans like myself. That's, of course, in pushing major pieces of legislation like the Deborah Sampson Act that aims to improve care in the VA for women. Uh, Third is defending veteran and military education benefits uh, that goes well beyond just the GI Bill and and how veterans are able to utilize the GI Bill as well as protect it from cuts, waste, and abuse, like for-profit schools, for example, that prey on veterans and use the GI Bill for their gain. Uh, 
Fourth is defending and reforming government uh, support for today's veterans, and that's not just on the VA side, that's also on the DOD side. Harmful practices like continuing resolution and sequestration continue to bog down uh, military uh, readiness and, and um, military capability as they wait for their budgets to come online each year. And then the two new priorities that we've added this year, number five, to initiate support from injuries from burn pits and other toxic exposures, something that I know we've all experienced. 80% of our members say that they've experienced while downrange um, exposure to burn pits and, and, and other uh, toxic chemicals. And so that's something that we know we we're going to continue to press hard on in 2018 and beyond. And lastly, initiating empowerment of veterans who want to utilize cannabis. And this is something that is still burgeoning within our community. There's varying degrees of how far some organizations want to go and, and looking into it. But I think many agree at this point that the research at least needs to be done. And there's some steps that need to uh, be taken in order to allow for that research to happen. But most organizations really want to see if there's something that can help that, let's use it. Really, those big six that IAVA announced during Storm the Hill last week are six of the biggest, if not the six biggest issues facing us in the veteran community. So good to see that list and good to see so many important things on it. Let's let's work through them just a little bit. I mean, sustaining a campaign to combat suicide among troops and veterans is a big focus. We've heard the numbers, whether it's 20 a day, 22 a day, the, the specific number doesn't matter. If it's more than one, if it's more than zero, it's too many. How does IAVA think uh, we need to go about combating this? I mean, is it focusing mostly on uh, care at the VA and mental health care there? Is it private care? Is it a little bit of a little bit of both? I mean, how are you guys looking at the uh, the issue and, and how we need to address it? Well, you have to look at the issue holistically. Um, we led the campaign to combat suicide starting in 2015. Uh, we led it with a piece of legislation called the Clay Hunt Suicide Prevention for American Veterans Act. And um, it was a historic piece of legislation. It was the first of its kind when, at a time when people were really not talking about mental health and the, uh, the stigma surrounding mental health counseling, receiving mental health counseling was still prevalent. And so just breaching that conversation was the first step. But it was the first step among many because now you have, for example, an executive order issued in January, and that's supposed to call for a joint plan of action between DOD and VA, where transitioning service members receive 12 months of mental health care in order to uh, assist with transition issues, which we know can be one of the chief reasons for uh, why some veterans may uh, take their own lives. And so... With that, we want to hold VA and DOD accountable for smart policies. And, you know, we're part of a working group um, that helps to advise and assist in, in that transition. But that's just one small piece of it. It really is about raising awareness and ensuring the media continues to cover veteran suicide responsibly. Um, sadly, you know, the events out in California this weekend is, is another issue of where, uh, while it's not suicide, it was homicide in this case, it's still a mental health case in which, we want to ensure that um, we're bringing the right attention to our community and, and highlighting those who um, who obviously need care, who receive set, uh, that care. Um, a part of this campaign is also to remain a vigilant watchdog and to ensure that uh, implementation of the Clay Hunt Save Act uh, continues forward and ensuring that there's peer-to-peer -peer counseling and, and other ways in which we can mentor uh, those who may be struggling. And then lastly, some of it is really um, on the community 
um, to, to help one another. So you have, you know, Pathways that was out in California, but you also have um, our own with the VIA, IABA, the Rapid Response Referral Program or RIP Program. We have master's level social workers who provide uh, mental health counseling and, and case management for any who call in. And there are many programs around the country, and and a big part of it, I think, is making people aware of them and making them realize that there's no stigma for a vet that's seeking help when they're struggling out there. I mean, there are many things made available to them through groups like IAVA. As you mentioned, Pathways in California, Boulder Crest Retreat in Virginia and Arizona. I mean, there are so many many, uh, great programs out there to help veterans who are struggling, and and I think it's uh, it's great that you guys are trying to shine a light on that and make sure that, that the vets who are struggling struggling, uh, understand and know that they're out there and know how to get to them. We're speaking with Melissa Bryant. Melissa is Chief Policy Officer for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America. Melissa, as you may have been able to tell by her name, is also a woman veteran. And number two on the big six list for IAVA in 2018 is sustaining a campaign to recognize and improve service for women veterans. Now, Melissa, as a male, you know, I kind of had the idea when I got out of the military that veterans treatment at the VA and in other programs would be... uh, the same for everybody. And I didn't take into account something I've fairly recently learned that women often need uh, unique medical care and unique other types of care that uh, the VA originally just wasn't set up to do because you, you, you had basically 9.9 out of every 10 veteran veterans was a male uh, up until very fairly recently. Now, women are the largest growing segment of the veteran population. So what do we need to do to make sure that services for women veterans are improved to the point where they're on the same level that men are receiving? Absolutely. Um, The first thing that we need to do is we need to push for our members of Congress to pass the Deborah Sampson Act. That's a piece of legislation that uh, IVA championed starting last year, the beginning of the 115th uh, session of Congress. And we want to ensure that that passes uh, this year, which that legislation calls for improvement in VA services. Uh, For example, you speak to how many VA facilities were not prepared to receive women. Uh, So this allows for retrofitting of of, of exam rooms and allowing for a safe environment within uh, reception areas that women can feel comfortable entering into the space. Uh, It allows for peer-to-peer counselors for women veterans so that when you're looking to navigate the bureaucracy of the VA, you're talking to another woman who understands the care that you need and can speak to you about the ways in which you can receive said care. Um, It ensures that uh, there's maternity care, adequate maternity care and newborn care for women veterans, um, something that, again, you wouldn't think that you would need for a generation of, of women coming up before mine. Um, and passing the Deborah Sampson Act and ensuring that all of those things are in place, that, that's critical to ensuring that we feel welcomed in a space that um, bears the, you know, the quote from Abraham Lincoln's second inaugural, for him who shall have borne the battle, his widow and his orphan. Um, we want to ensure that we're a part of that as well. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. I mean, this this is something where uh, the women who I served alongside were every bit as important as anyone else was serving in uniform and making sure that they have uh, the benefits that they need, the care that they need when they get out is certainly something uh, worth striving for. Number three on the big six list, defending veteran and military education benefits. And of course, we've seen uh, movement on the GI Bill. We've seen improvements to the GI Bill over the years, including most recently, uh, just this past year in 2007. 
2017. One thing that you mentioned when you were going through the Big Six list is uh, one way that women and men veterans are treated very equally is being taken advantage of by for-profit universities. Uh, This is something that it it seems like the government has been trying to address in some ways, but it's a difficult topic. How do we make sure that veterans know what is and is not a good school for them and what's going to be a good use of their GI Bill or vocational rehab benefits? Well, in, in some cases, in, in veterans knowing what a good school is and, and knowing you know, how to stay away from those bad actors who prey upon veterans, um, unfortunately, a lot is left to the individual. Um, there's uh, various organizations and, and programs that are out there that try to educate and let veterans know where the best use of your GI Bill resources could go. Um, however, sometimes it really is left up to um, to the veteran to figure that out, and that's unfortunate, and that's one of the things that we would love to see changed uh, is to ensure that there's some centralized place where um, you can see where those for-profit schools are and you can see uh, who those bad actors are, but also Congress needs to be pressured to close loopholes that reward these bad actors for exploiting veterans and strengthen regulations that help veterans choose the best education programs to meet their career goals. There are schools out there, as you've been talking about, uh, for-profit schools that, you know, I, I suppose you could get a degree from that could be worth something. There are other ones where uh, that degree is essentially worthless. And, you know, for the veteran to uh, to have that possibility of thinking that they're signing up for one thing and getting another, uh, that's something that is certainly unfortunate. And as you said, really, the onus right now is on the veteran themselves to be able to go out there and, and know what they're looking at. But again, this is something new to most vets. They've never dealt with the uh, the higher education world before and might not know the difference between one of those for-profit schools and a state university or a private university out there. Uh, just because it's got university or college in its name, it doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it's working on the up and up, does it? That's absolutely correct. And it's unfortunate that we place that onus on veterans. We, we really should do more in order to ensure that veterans are not taken advantage of, especially with, your, frankly, our taxpayer dollars. Yeah. And and again, those taxpayer dollars in so many cases with those for profit schools, we've seen horror stories of these schools shutting down mid semester and, and basically those veterans losing their GI Bill benefits that they, they may have spent there and not getting any credit for it or trying to transfer from a for profit school to uh, a more reputable school and realizing that those other schools won't take transfer credits from those schools. Really a, a bigger issue than I think many people realize. The two at the end of the Big Six, and we're speaking with Melissa Bryant, Chief Policy Officer for IAVA, about their Big Six uh, focus points for 2018 that were announced during their Storm the Hill event last week. One, uh, this is number five on the list and the first of the two brand new ones, really, initiating support for injuries from burn pits and other toxic exposures. This is an issue that has become uh, bigger recently, I think in large part because... Exposure to burn pits and other toxic exposures sometimes takes a while to manifest in those who are exposed to them. You know, it's not something where you stood next to a burn pit and the next day you've got all these physical maladies. It's something that can can take time. Is this a problem that you see getting worse before it gets better as far as us seeing more cases of people having health issues because of their exposure? Sadly, yes. Um, when I delivered our testimony last Tuesday for IAVA before the joint session of the Senate and House Veterans Affairs Committees, one of the things that I said is that I believe that age, that toxic exposures could be the Agent Orange of our generation. Um, my father's a Vietnam vet, 
and um, I was helping him, you know, look through his, his VA disability claim, and he was speaking to all the issues of Agent Orange. It can trace back to when he was in Vietnam in 1968, and so 50 years later, he is still suffering from the effects of walking through defoliated areas with Agent Orange, and so that's something that from my deployment experience a decade ago, I have to question, well, where am I going to be 40 years from now? And what are the health challenges that I'll face from the exposure to everything from the dust levels to metals in the air, apparently, for those of us who are around uh, the Base complex um, in Iraq and Baghdad, um, to um, the the multitude of materials that were burned in burn pits, everything from human waste to, uh, you know, all sorts of other hazard materials uh, with JP-8 on top of that, um, whole planes that were burned. I mean, anecdotally, I've heard so many stories. And, and sadly, this is another area where we need more data. We need to ensure that we're capturing the data of those who are exposed downrange. It needs to start from the DOD side and then transfer over into what hopefully would be in your electronic health record as you become a veteran and transition into the VA of ensuring that those who have been exposed, we're able to track who's been exposed. And then we can start peeling back the layers of the onion to see where those exposures lead to bad health challenges. You know, it reminds me a little bit of the first Gulf War uh, and some of the physical uh, problems and health problems that people had afterwards that that many Gulf War veterans uh, blamed on the oil fires that were set by Saddam's people in Kuwait as they uh, retreated back towards Iraq. And that was something that it seemed fairly cut and dry that, yeah, these guys were exposed to these toxic fumes in the air. But being able to prove that that was what caused their health issues, because most of the health issues were things that, you know, you could have got. Uh, from being exposed to something else. It could have been a genetic thing. Uh, is that part of the issue, is being able to prove, who one, who was exposed to the stuff, and then also proving that the exposure is directly related to their health con- health concerns? Uh, it seems like that that may be a sticking point when it comes to trying to initiate support for injuries and health issues arising from this. Is that a concern that you have? It is a sticking point. Um, however, we are starting to see the the tide start to turn uh, in that the court has re- recently recognized that uh, pulmonary uh, lung disease, um, certain health um, challenges like pulmonary lung disease, have been correlated to exposure to toxic fumes and, and what have you downrange. And so that was just a recent decision that came down from the court just uh, in the last few weeks. So we're starting to see where the science and where uh, some of the air quality samples and, and other methods of tracking this are, are being captured and you're showing that correlation between the ailments, the veterans and the places where they were exposed. But there's just still a lot more that needs to be done. Um, there's a rising increase of cancers, um, cancer diagnoses, and we understand that there's correlation between those cancer diagnoses and uh, folks who are exposed to toxic fumes and, and other um, exposures while they were deployed. And that's something that we want to ensure is captured by the VA and, and also by DOD. Because, again, it's anything that you can do on the other side of the DD-214 um, that will help you as you transition into, veteran, uh, into, into your veteran life. We're speaking with Melissa Bryant, Chief Policy Officer for Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America, about the big six initiatives that were unveiled at the Storm the Hill event for IAVA in 
uh, the Storm the Hill event last week here in our nation's capital. And this is their basically their 2018 policy agenda. Number six on the list, a new addition, is one that's become a, a bit of a big talking point with a lot of organizations out there, including the other VSOs, and that is initiating empowerment of veterans who want to utilize cannabis. Uh, a, a touchy subject for many people. I've spoken to specifically a lot of Vietnam veterans who see the cannabis issue as kind of something that's uh, always been affiliated with them with negative connotations, uh, seeing things move in a positive light. Uh, some of them aren't quite sure how to feel about it. How does IAVA feel about it? Obviously, you guys support the use of cannabis. How do you think uh, this should be implemented? Well, it should be implemented in several ways. You know, first of all, I'll call to our annual member survey. Only 15% of our members oppose legalization for medical use. And this is something that we've seen as a trend for several years as we ask the question of cannabis uh, on our member surveys. And so, uh, and, and many are there. There's a majority who support it legally. Um, and that's not what we're calling for now. But, I mean, just it really just showed the difference between the, the generations and how the post-911 generation uh, really does see this as a resource that could be used to help vets, especially as we talk about the possibility of whether it could be used to treat mental health injuries like PTSD, um, which goes all the way back to our first priority of combating suicide. If this is something that could possibly help in our campaign to combat suicide, then by all means, let's use that resource. So some of the things that we call on are the reclassification of uh, marijuana from a Schedule One, a Schedule Three drug, which will allow for the research to be conducted by the VA. That's one of the um, the main sticking points that uh, currently disallows the VA to do further research because there is some that's being done, but it's not enough, and they're not able to get. Uh, the sample sizes that they need in order to really show whether it's effective or not. And um, another thing that we want to ensure that the VA does in order to do that is to close the loopholes in policy, which inhibit the discussion of cannabis uses between veterans and VA clinicians. Um, While there was a policy change late last year that allowed for uh, clinicians to speak to veterans about uh, cannabis use, it's still legal if you are a VA employee, for example, which many VA employees are also veterans. And so, so um, those employees aren't able to use cannabis. So therefore, they're not going to talk about anything if they are with their clinicians. The clinicians cannot provide it to them. Um, they can't really talk. They can talk about the usage, and it's a an opt-in, um, you know, self-identification process. But there's a lot of challenges in the back end for the veteran that don't make them feel wholly comfortable in discussing with their clinician. And so uh, it's still a bit of a double-edged sword in that that policy, those policy loopholes need to change to allow for veterans to have an open and candid conversation with providers about cannabis usage. Um, we would also like to see uh, depressive VA for both um, medical, uh, private medical community research into the use of cannabis as a treatment option for chronic pain and for mental health injuries. Um, and we want to update the current cannabis policy within the VA to allow for them to provide recommendations and opinions to patients regarding medical cannabis programs. Because again, they can talk about it, but they can't provide any recommendations. And so very strange policy in the way in which it's crafted. And that needs to be made whole so that veterans can have a conversation where they at least are dealing with all the facts. 
We've been speaking with Melissa Bryant, Chief Policy Officer for IAVA, about the 2018 policy agenda for Iraq and Afghanistan veterans of America. They're big six, as they're calling them. We've talked about five. There's one that we skipped over. That is defend and reform government support for today's veterans, which is essentially just trying to hold the VA accountable and also uh, addressing efforts to undermine and privatize the VA, which IAVA doesn't agree with. You can find out more about that by visiting their website. Melissa, if people want to find out more about IAVA and the big six, where do they go? You go to IAVA.org. IAVA.org is the website. And while the 2018 policy agenda is set and the Storm the Hill event has taken place, IAVA will continue working for veterans of all shapes, including, of course, those from Iraq and Afghanistan throughout the year. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us today on The Morning Briefing. We appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 